0: Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: Welcome, friends, to the Wednesday edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. So you probably saw it last night, President Trump responding to his indictment at Mar-a-Lago. The indictment itself is out. We will be analyzing what he said in the speech and, of course, the indictment itself, which is... Every bit as preposterous and perhaps even a little bit more so than we had been telling you. It certainly shows us that all the analysis about Bragg as a a person who has really undermined our justice system and is using the powers that he has for illicit political purpose, it's all true. So we'll talk about the Trump indictment. It's out. We read it wasn't really that you know it's really one page written 16 times which which we'll we'll get into right it was
4: infinitely weaker buck than i think even the most ardent trump supporter would have hoped really because i I feel
3: like it was exactly where we were told it was going to be one charge 34 times over
4: yeah i just i i guess maybe this is when i said on the show i felt like they were holding something back To try to have somebody be able to grab a hold of it, and it just wasn't there.
3: You were giving Bragg, the district attorney of the biggest city in America, (laughs) credit for not being a complete loon. I mean, a total lunatic, and he doesn't deserve that credit. I gave him too much credit. I I
4: mean, I did. I I thought there's no way that he's just going to ride or die with a porn star payment that he's going to charge 34 different times. I mean, and he did. And so uh, I think it's the biggest gift to Donald Trump, maybe in his political career.
3: We're going to get into that here momentarily. Also, we have Andy McCarthy with us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, So we'll be talking to him about it. And uh, a couple of other big news items, though. We're definitely going to spend some time on them today. So I want to be clear that this isn't just going to be three hours of analysis of the Trump indictment. Uh, We had... Uh, two major and, and unfortunately very disappointing, uh, elections, you know, mid-year off-cycle elections that, that happened here. Um, you know, not in the congressional cycle, not in a presidential. Uh, you have the mayor of Chicago has been elected and it is not, it is not the law and order uh, candidate, um, Vallis, Paul Vallis. Brandon Johnson is now the new mayor of Chicago, the windy city. Um, he is a progressive. He's a socialist. He thinks that by creating more jobs, there'll be less crime. It's, I saw your tweet, Clay. I think we will spend more time on this and how this, how did he win? What is wrong with the people of Chicago who voted for this guy? Um, but get out of Chicago was your tweet. And to a lot of people, I think, unfortunately, that is the message. That is the message they should be hearing right now.
4: If it's, you are in Chicago and you have the ability to leave, that is, you have the financial resources. You can do your job remotely. I would leave Chicago. And I, and I don't say that lightly. And I'm saying that as a father of three. We know what the crime rate is in Chicago as bad as Lori Lightfoot was. And I think arguably, Buck, she was the worst mayor in America. Chicago may have picked a worse replacement for her than Lori Lightfoot
3: herself and one thing that's very very true that i think we've we've seen a lot in the last few years with covid and the blm riots and all these things that have gone on you really are you're really casting your ballot in two ways as an american who you vote for and who you pay taxes to the one thing that gets the attention of these big cities whether it's you know new york or chicago or la or whatever is Oh, my gosh, we have a giant hole in our budget and our socialist budget uh, system that we've got going here and we can't continue. So it matters. You vote with your feet as well as with the ballot.
4: And I've done that, Buck, in my own life. I'm born and raised, for those of you who who know, in Nashville, Tennessee. That is Davidson County. I am so furious with how Davidson County responded to COVID that. I don't think I'll ever live in Davidson County for the rest of my life where downtown Nashville is. I live in Williamson County. Those of you know the area, Franklin, Brentwood, just south of town. I don't think I'll ever own a home, pay property taxes in Davidson County again for the rest of my life. Born and raised in that county, lived in it until about eight years ago when we moved out with the birth of our third son. And I don't know that I'll ever live in Davidson County again. Now, I own some property there, and certainly I go back and forth uh, as anybody would who lives close to a city. But I'm so thoroughly disgusted uh, with their management of COVID that I don't want to endorse
3: it in any way. Also, so we have Chicago. We're going to analyze a little bit more about what happened in that. It was very tight. It was uh, 51-49 uh, in the percentage points breakdown between Johnson, the progressive who won, and Vallis, who was just – it's funny. Johnson was making Vallis seem like a right-wing guy, which is just further – clarification that to say we're going to lock up violent criminals and try to make people safer on the streets is a right-wing position now that it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat if you're a Democrat who says I don't think you should have to get arrested a hundred times before you do real time I don't think we should let convicted felons who get caught with loaded handguns on the streets of our cities go because social justice if you take that position you can lose to somebody who says you're a right winger and that yes. is what happened in Chicago in summary. But the other thing that, that came in last night, and this is, look, this is a wake-up call, everybody. It's a wake-up call. The same way that um what happened in 2022 with the ballot harvesting and and the realities of the close races that we saw places like Arizona and Georgia. I remember, we were saying, guys, we got to get the machines in place here to do what they're doing. A little bit of pushback, which I can understand from some people on the right. Now Trump says... You're going to lose if you don't do that because he's seen the numbers. The data is very clear on this. All right. We just lost a, we just lost not only a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, um, but we lost overall control of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And this is the first time libs have had a majority on that court for 15 years, Clay. And it's a big deal because. Now they're going to ramp everything they can do in that critical battleground state that will help a Democrat in 2024. They're going to ram it through and GOP sleep at the wheel on this one. I don't know what else to say outspent dramatically out organized dramatically. So do we want to learn battleground state? How is this not even on the radar of major activists and, and you know, national level Republicans?
4: Democrats are better at elections right now. I I think you just have to accept that they are better at getting their votes out. They're more strategic. They are more cutthroat. They want to win more than Republicans do. And I think that's hard for people out there to understand, but when you look overall at the record, basically over what, Buck, the last five, six years? Since 2016... What can you point to and say, man, Republicans have run an incredible campaign and really kicked ass? I mean, we just had Joe Biden's the worst president in any of our lives. And we barely took back the House and we were not able to take control of the Senate. In fact, we've lost a seat. If you look at John Fetterman, there's no Republican equivalent of John Fetterman. Dude who can get elected to statewide office, can't even speak, immediately checks himself into a hospital, looks like Uncle Fester. They are committed to their ideas in a way that Republicans, frankly, are not. They're
3: far more strategic. They're far more devious. They're winning. Let's let's look at, I mean, you, you raised where have we had a real bright spot, meaning a meaningful election in a highly contested election where it really came down to organizing ground game. Messaging is obviously always important, but where the Republican showed us how it's done. And there have been a few of those cases. Let's give, let's give full credit to first and foremost on this list of governors, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. We were there on election night, ran, yep. ran up the scoreboard in a way that it was almost, it was hard to say it out loud because you thought you were going to be made fun of because the number couldn't have been right. That was how I felt. I was like, no way he could have won by that many points. 19 he points. Did. He did. So that was enormous. Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. How did he win? Yeah, I should
4: I should have put him in twenty one. That's probably the last. And what I mean when I'm saying I, I'm impressed by DeSantis and look uh, and Brian Kemp in Georgia. They won big victories. Glenn Youngkin, I would say, Buck, is the last time, the only time, maybe in the last six years, where in an election that you didn't anticipate Republicans winning, a Republican found a right. way to win and 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 did it in a way that everybody was like, "Wow,
3: thank you." The DeSantis win was so total. That, yeah. that is noteworthy, right? We are we expecting he was him to, going win. to win. We knew he was re-election. going to get reelected. Youngkin was a huge shot across the bow to Democrats. Yes. Your point about Kemp, I think, is interesting too, because it's worth remembering. I don't think anybody, I don't even think Kemp believes he's a national level guy, as in presidential race guy, but he's a good candidate for the state of Georgia. The people of Georgia like him. He understands the system. He understands his state. And that's something else that I think you know we it's very easy for these some of these Republicans to oh, they have national level name recognition or, or they were famous or they're connected to you know somebody big. is this person a good candidate for that state is you know and, and that's something that I think we, we lose sight of, especially on the media side sometimes.
4: If I were running for president and I were the nominee as a Republican, I think I would pick Brian Kemp as my VP. I I don't think Trump's going to do it. Maybe if DeSantis were the nominee, he would consider it. And the reason why Buck is complete strategy. Yeah, deliver Georgia. He would guarantee Georgia is, in my opinion, coming back into the red camp. He beat Stacey Abrams by seven and a half points. Usually the VP doesn't matter that much. But if you look at Trump, uh, that was an 11 or 12,000 vote difference. I think Brian Kemp, given how popular he is, would put Georgia back into the Republican camp. And I think, look, some of those numbers on Glenn Youngkin are still pretty extraordinary. If you truly thought that you could put Virginia in play, then Glenn Youngkin as a vice presidential candidate would make a lot of sense. My concern with Trump, if he's a nominee, Buck, is he's just going to pick, and I'm not trying to take a shot here, Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or Kristi Noem Somebody who's already in, uh, even maybe uh, Carrie Lake, who I love, somebody who is in a state either that is already red
3: or it does not have necessarily the pull to flip a state. Here's the you know the challenge that we face. So Wisconsin, um, the, I, I just want to say these lessons. And then, Clay, we do have to, do you realize that for the media with the Trump, we're about to get into this with Andy McCarthy in detail, everybody, about the indictment, about what Trump said last night. That's coming up here in a minute. But. It was solemn for the media. We're, we gotta come back in this. They were just like, oh, it is it is a sad, a day, sad day for sad American day democracy. For the nation. I mean, Mika was she had like a fan out and she was, oh gosh, it's getting it's getting crazy out here. Uh, over on Morning Joe. It's so funny. Anyway, on uh, the Chicago race, and, and I think that we have to look at at the markers here, look at the the early indicators. Um the Chicago race shows you that Democrats are are capable of Voting for policies that are quite literally putting them at physical risk. Yes, they just they're so ideologically devoted. So don't think, oh, this place or this state has suffered so much that there are going to be Democrats who don't turn out. No, Democrat turnout in pretty much everywhere is effectively guaranteed. That's what we're up against. It's guaranteed. Obviously, Chicago was Democrat versus Democrat. But it just goes to show you their tolerance for bad policies I think is way more than people realize. So don't expect them to say, oh, well, they're doing a terrible job. Look at Gavin Newsom in California. There are tons of examples of this. And then the other thing is the ground game and the election architecture before election day matters. And what just happened in Wisconsin is we failed to focus enough on that election. Kelly was a very strong candidate. Daniel Kelly uh, should have won that Supreme Court seat, state Supreme Court seat. And what now happens is we're behind the eight ball. Now we're going into Wisconsin 2024 with Democrats going to change the structure of the election in every way they possibly can. And what was the What was the twenty twenty thousand twenty thousand? Yeah, this stuff matters. And And Ron
4: Johnson, our buddy, won by, I think, twenty six thousand votes roughly in Wisconsin for the Senate race that just took place in twenty twenty two. So I mean we're talking about absolute margin tiny difference between victory and defeat and Democrats have added a, 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 a you know pretty substantial
3: chess piece to their board We'll come back we'll come back to this uh, Janet uh, protosewitz is the new Supreme Court justice in uh, in Wisconsin we'll come back to that later on but I mean Clay we've got to come back in a moment here to the media I mean they were in mourning. It was so sad for them to see Trump. It's, it's hilarious that that's what they went with, but that's what they did.
4: We'll play it for you when we come back. In the meantime, you're taking care of your family, I try to do it every single day. I've got a 15-year-old, 12-year-old, 8-year-old wife who thinks I'm doing sometimes an okay job, like most wives do. But one of the things that I've done is we got car insurance, got health insurance, got life insurance, trying to take care of some of the uncertainties and dangers that might come from life. Have you got food insurance? Right now, the makers of the best emergency food, My Patriot Supply, they're knocking $200 off their popular three-month emergency food kit. This will last for years. We have got three months for each of my kids, myself, my wife. It's just stored in our pantry. Over 2,000 calories each day. It's food security. Something goes wrong. Weather conditions, supply chain crises. Who knows what might happen in the wake of everything that we saw happen with covid why not go to mypatriotsupply.com right now and save two hundred dollars on each kit your family needs be sure to get at least one per person we've got five in the travis household go to mypatriotsupply.com right now and you get free shipping mypatriotsupply.com the web address one more time do what i did with the travis family mypatriotsupply.com
0: truth seeking reality telling Armstrong and Getty show to start listening.
1: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's reality Reality Podcast. podcast.
2: We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room.
1: We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today.
5: Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to more than a movie as part of the My Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: All right, Welcome back to Clay and Buck. As promised, now we're diving into the actual text of the indictment against Donald Trump even feels weird calling it an indictment it's it's a farce on paper but we read through it and so did our friend andy mccarthy who joins us right now he's of course fox news contributor he's at uh national review and and is a a former prosecutor for the southern southern district of new york um andy I, i just want your first reaction to it and then i have a specific question courtesy of the new york times about this one but when you read this thing what was your takeaway
6: I guess two things. One is um, it it seems to me like it's insufficient on its face because it doesn't state a crime. So it fails in the fundamental purpose of what an indictment is for, which is to put the defendant on notice of what he's charged with. And second, it's incoherent factually because uh, Brad's theory is that Trump essentially stole the 2016 election by fraud. And in order to prove that, what Bragg proposes to do is show that he committed a series of 34 that he calls felony crimes. But those crimes take place between February 14th and December 5th, 2017. So I fail to see how acts that take place in 2017 can have caused a fraud four months earlier. Um, and, that, wait, that's can, can
3: I just uh, say, so, so Andy... The time to the point about the New York Times, the headline, their main headline on the site right now about the indictment is a surprise accusation bolsters a risky case against Trump. Is what you're talking about this surprise accusation? Like, what w- what is this?
6: Well, I guess it's still a surprise, Buck, right? <laughs> because he hasn't told us what it is. But I would say that, um, I- I'm glad the New York Times thinks that, uh, you know, surprise and intrigue, or I, I guess that's good for coverage. But it's really bad criminal law because um, one of the obligations that a prosecutor has is to be the legal advisor to the grand jury in uh, a proceeding, an investigation that leads to an indictment. So we're, we all have a right under the Fifth Amendment uh, not to be called into court for a criminal trial unless a grand jury has found probable cause that uh, a crime is committed. And the test there is that a grand jury has to find that there's probable cause for every element of the crime that the prosecutor wants to charge. So here you have a situation where Bragg has charged Trump with essentially falsifying his business records in order to conceal another crime. Well, The the indictment doesn't say what the other crime is. And it's one thing not to tell Donald Trump that. Uh, I think that makes the indictment fail on its face for notice purposes. But it it suggests strongly that Bragg didn't instruct the grand jury on another crime and that the grand jury didn't find some other crime uh, under a probable cause standard, which would also make the indictment insufficient.
4: Okay, so... And, and I just want to, Andy, you, you're killing it here, and I want to dive into this. If this were a misdemeanor bookkeeping violation, it would have a two-year statute of limitations. That would be tossed Correct. out. There would be no way to charge on this at this point in time. If the only way they can get it under the statute of limitations is by trying to argue that it's a felony because of this uh, you know, amorphous, which I'm going to get to in a second, second crime yep. that they have not defined. Uh, and that would theoretically create a five-year statute of limitations, which also, by the way, is potentially, uh, also in play because, uh, because we're more than five years since this would have occurred. Background there. So for this, when you read this, strip away Democrat, Republican, just be yep. a prosecutor from the Southern District of, of New York as you were in your career. How embarrassed are you for Alvin Bragg and the New York District Attorney's Office that they would even allow this farce to go on, and that after 240 years of not ever charging a president, former president, anything like that, that this would be the indictment that breaks that precedent is to me a tremendous embarrassment to their office, to the country at large. Is it to you as well, like now that you've seen
6: all this? Well, here's why, Clay. Um... You know, I was a prosecutor in the building next door for about 20 years, and much of the time I was there, The, uh, in fact, I think all of the time I was there, um, the legendary Bob Morgenthau was the district attorney of New York County, of Manhattan, uh, and he was... Uh, you know, he had been a U.S. attorney for many years in the Southern District of New York. Became before he became Manhattan's DA for I think 34 years. Uh, and I think anybody uh, who knows anything about Morgenthau would know that he expected prosecutors in his office to come up to a certain standard uh, and to conduct their their use their powers in a in a aggressive but appropriately aggressive and ethical way mindful of what the requirements of due process of law are and in the legacy of that office the adult leadership of the office would prevent things like this indictment from happening so I think from that lofty perch what we now have in the Manhattan District Attorney's office is the district attorney himself is the exemplar of abuse in other words instead of playing the role That supervisors are supposed to play, uh, namely to make sure that their young, inexperienced prosecutors don't do stuff like this, this guy has politicized the office in a way that would be unrecognizable to Bob Morgenthau to the point that when Morgenthau, Morgenthau was an elected DA too, but in the culture of New York at the time... The qualifications for that office, if you, if anyone had dared to you know, run against him or had a prayer of running against him, would it be that you had to match him in terms of, of, of what being an exemplary prosecutor was, that you would enforce the law without fear or favor across the board equally against everyone. Now we have a guy who runs for office like a Soviet apparatchik promising to abuse the power of his office. In order to leverage them against one guy, which is which would be, I think, ten years ago even that would have been disqualifying if someone sought office on those grounds. The fact that he got elected doing that is just mind-boggling.
3: So, wait, Andy, how, how is it possible that someone can defend themselves against an indictment that lists thirty? <laughs> it's it's basically the same thing, thirty times, right? So. and and to your point before, it would be like the stolen property passed back and forth between two individuals. You know, If two guys steal a bike and they handed it off five times in the course of, usually don't charge them with five bike thefts, right? But that's effectively what has happened here with this brag indictment. But how can anyone be expected to defend themselves and have any kind of a fair trial when they're saying, you committed this crime and there's another crime that I'm not even naming that you also committed... And therefore, the first crime that I've named is a worse crime. Uh, how can you defend yourself if he doesn't have to name the other crime? Like, he, doesn't he have to?
6: Yeah, well, that's right. He the indictment fails as an indictment in the sense that an indictment in the United States under our system, and this is a this is a long Anglo American principle. But uh, the indictment has two functions. One is to put the defendant on notice of exactly what the charge is so he can prepare his defense. So if you don't tell him what crimes he's accused of committing, he can't prepare his defense, and the indictment fails for that reason. The second thing an indictment's supposed to be is your proof for double jeopardy purposes that you've already been prosecuted for the crime charged. So again, if it doesn't articulate the crime in the four corners of the indictment, then it, then you don't, you can't plead double jeopardy. So, to my mind, just the basic function of a, of an indictment. And uh, as you guys said, uh, you know, a second ago, we're not talking here Republican, Democrat, concern. This is just like basic clinical but, stuff. So, with that it's in mind, Andy, it doesn't I mean, do what an indictment does.
3: You, looking at this, just as as a person who, as Clay pointed out, twenty plus years officer of the court in the federal uh, Southern District of New York, in a fair in a fair system. Would Alvin Bragg be subject to getting disbarred, in your mind?
6: Well, I mean, he's got an argument, and I don't like, you know, I've said in defense of uh, of John Eastman and the whole January 6th stuff, I don't like the idea of uh Penalizing legal, legal for, for analysis, legal right? Theories. So I, yeah. I don't want to do to Bragg what I wouldn't do to Eastman. Um, and I would say that Bragg has... An argument to make. I think it's a frivolous argument, but he's got an argument. I think he's going to come in and say the statute that I'm invoking here doesn't s- specify which crime it has to be that he's concealing in order to make it a felony. You know, the statute so- says it's felony, uh, felony falsification of business records, and what the statute says is. He can, He had the intent to conceal another crime, and I have. What Breg is going to say is, I have simply tracked the language of the statute, um, which should be adequate for due process purposes. We're talking to and Andy I McCarthy. Can do the rest ability
4: Yeah. Sorry to cut I'm you sorry, off. I, I was I, just going to say. Yes, yeah, okay. If you were representing Trump right now. And you immediately see this. Don't you demand that this be dismissed as insufficient on its face? Now, maybe, like you say, in the Bill of Particulars, they can specify more so. But do you think there's any chance that this judge tosses these charges? Should he, if he does not, they have this hearing on December 4th to consider all the motions. What sort of recourse would Trump have before trial based on your experience, to try to get these things tossed before he even has to appear potentially in front of a jury?
6: Yeah, so here's what I would do. uh, And obviously, they're closer to it than I am. They have much more information than I do. So take this with whatever grain of salt you you care to. But... um, I don't fault them for not yet making a motion to dismiss because they just got the indictment at 2.30 yesterday afternoon. So, you know, you have to give them a chance to digest it. And I don't blame the judge for not, like, as they say in the law, sua sponte, like, on his own hook, dismissing it. Uh, Judges don't tend to do that. They wait for a, a defense motion. But now that these guys have had a chance to digest what's in the indictment, I think it's one thing to say, you know, fine. We can have a, a, like the long motion schedule the judge gave them. I think he says they have to have their motions in by August or something after the, uh, after the state makes discovery. Um, but I would be in there today under the judge's toes if I could, saying two things. One, this indictment fails as an indictment because on its face, it doesn't state the crime and it doesn't give us notice of what the crime is. So it fails the basic test of what an indictment is. And, While in another case, it might be fine to wait until August to hash all of that out. Here, you have a situation where state criminal law enforcement processes are being allowed to intrude into a national federal election. And before a court should allow that to happen, um, they ought to make sure that the state has a real crime, and that there's sufficient and convincing evidence that Trump probably... Well, well Andy, committed. we, th- and we I might have to I set would... up
3: a special phone just for you to call in over the next you know, nine months or so. But thank you, Andy <laughs> McCarthy. Thank you so much uh, for right, joining guys. us. As always, appreciate yeah, my you, buddy. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Spring cleaning just got a whole lot easier with Legacy Box, the Tennessee-based company that digitally preserves old media. I'm talking videotapes, film reels, photo albums, all the things that take up space in your home but you don't want to throw out because they contain precious memories. The problem is they will deteriorate over time, not to mention being at risk of heat, mold, and fire. So it's wise to get your past preserved now. And you can do that with Legacy Box. It starts with them sending you a shipping box, a Legacy Box. You fill it with your old tapes, reels, photos. I've done it. Clay's done it. So easy. You fill it, you ship it back. In a few weeks, you get digital copies that can be easily enjoyed, shared, and organized. I now send old photos and videos and things to my family members. I can only do that because I've got Legacy Box. Join over a million families that have trusted Legacy Box, including Clay and me. For a limited time, Legacy Box is running a $9 videotape sale. That's 65% off. Never been a better time. $9 of videotape sale right now. Go to LegacyBox.com slash buck. That's LegacyBox.com slash Buck. Mother's Day's right around the corner. Go today. LegacyBox.com slash B-U-C-K.
1: Clay and Buck
0: 24-7. Subscribe today.
3: Third hour of Clay and Buck starts right now. Uh, 800-282-2882. If you want to chat with us about anything on the radar, uh, by all means, love to hear from you also. ClayandBuck.com. Come a VIP. You can email us there. We're getting VIP emails throughout the show. So I've got uh, the Chicago mayor's race, the Wisconsin state Supreme Court race, both decided and in ways that I think are discouraging um, but and and bad for the state of Wisconsin and for the um, city of Chicago, respectively. But I I first wanted to speak a little bit about um, the murder of this tech executive, Bob Lee. uh, Because Bob Lee... Um, is, is well-known in Silicon Valley circles. He is the Cash App founder. So any of you who have ever you know, you know use Cash App, know what Cash App is, he's also involved in cryptocurrency. So he's very tied in in the Silicon Valley circles. Um, and he had, because San Francisco, and this is a part of the story that so fascinating to see, Clay. I didn't see this in the CBS write-up. I didn't see this in the New York Times write-up. I was doing a little checking. He had recently moved to Miami, Florida, because San Francisco is such a hellhole because of the Democrats who run it and the lawlessness there. So this guy leaves San Francisco, moves to Ron DeSantis' Florida, is a fellow Miamian, recent fellow Miamian, and has to go back to San Francisco just for a work trip. And is stabbed to death at 2 o'clock in the morning Pacific time outside of a luxury apartment building in downtown San Francisco, basically. That is that is what happened here. And I had somebody, a friend who had spent time in the Bay Area, actually, um, and working with tech companies, text me, said, yeah, this is now San Francisco, too dangerous downtown for business trips, never mind for living. That is the takeaway that some people will have here. Now, we just said to you yesterday, we said to you yesterday that, San Francisco is down, what was it, 540 police officers as a result of the current mayor, London Breed, being in favor of defunding police. Now there's more and more break-ins, car theft, and violent crime rising in that city. It's a place that I used to think of in in the... Did you watch Full House as a kid? Oh, loved it. And my kids all
4: watched Fuller House, which is the, I believe, Netflix... Yeah, remake it, right? Involving remake a lot of the, the new same people, but as adults. Yes. Yeah, so my I mean, kids loved it too.
3: Bob Saget, you know, rest in peace. Uh, you know, uh, John Stamos, uh, the whole full house crew. I, I loved that show when I was a kid and it just had all these pictures. San Francisco was like paradise. Beautiful city, very safe, amazing food. They're ruining it. Okay. And they are the Democrats. And it is very clear that this is what is happening. Now here's the problem. We could sit here and provide all the data that we want to. Then you look at the a similar situation, soft on crime policies. We all know what they are. No cash bail, no arrests for this, no prosecution for that. Let people out. Don't punish them. Open air drug use, camp in the streets. And all of our, our Portland audience is nodding their heads. Our Seattle audience is not. You know, A lot of cities are going through this across the country. Clay, Chicago just had a choice. I think, what was it, almost roughly between six and 700 murders, I think, was it last year or the year before, which is a staggering number for a city of that size. And Chicago just had an election where they could choose between Vallis, who just said, look, I'm going to make this place safer for all of you. That is my mission in life if I become the mayor. Now, he only lost by a couple of points. He lost to Johnson, who is a progressive, a leftist, a socialist. And what was so interesting is... And this is a hat tip to my friend Ryan Gurdusky, our friend Ryan Gerdusky, for his National Populist Newsletter on Substack. He's done a breakdown of the data. Do you know why Johnson won Chicago, Clay? Because the highest crime precincts in Chicago overwhelmingly voted for the soft on crime candidate. What What can you make of this?
4: They voted for the black guy. I mean, honestly, it's identity politics writ large. And I keep thinking that there is going to be a recognition of what hell holes many of these cities have become. And that at their most basic level, it's because they're adopting anti-police, anti-capitalism. You mentioned San Francisco. Here's a stat for you, Buck. I think I saw this in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. 30% of all commercial real estate business rentals in San Francisco right now are empty. You know this because you're a New York City guy born and bred. A lot of people are not coming back into New York City now and going to work. So not only are you dealing with a rise in crime, you're dealing with a massive decline in the available tax rate which is creating, for instance, in New York City, major issues for Eric Adams going forward because they're running off the wealthiest. This just happened in Chicago. Ken Griffin, I believe, is the head of Citadel, multi-billionaire. He relocated to Florida. He Miami, was in Chicago. He's he in Miami. I'm done. I'm done with the crime in Chicago. I believe I am correct that one of the top executives at Citadel was attacked outside of the building, and it was the culmination. Of we can't do this anymore. I'm out. And he basically said, I'm relocating my entire business to, uh, from Chicago to uh, to to Florida. And this is happening in a big way, Buck. In New York, a, a tiny percentage of people pay in most big cities and an inordinate amount of the taxes, the taxes that yep. allow those cities to exist. And those taxes, if you're a billionaire, they fund police for poorer people. They fund schools for poorer people. When those billionaires leave, you can almost legitimately look at the tax rolls and say, man, if 50 people leave, our tax rolls take a legitimate hit just based on the income that these guys are producing. And I keep waiting for it, Buck, because you lived through it. Things in New York City got so bad that finally people said, we have to have a law and order mayor, and that was Rudy Giuliani. And New York made pretty solid weather. Look, I mean... Rudy Giuliani followed by Mayor Bloomberg. That's pretty solid mayoral leadership, right? I mean, you can quibble with a lot of the decisions they made. No, they weren't Bloomberg perfect was, on Bloomberg everything.
3: Bloomberg was a Look, I worked for him at one point at yeah. NYPD. Bloomberg was a competent mayor. Full yes. stop. Full
4: stop. And so, they're not you I think anytime if, if you're not the mayor yourself, relying on any mayor to be perfect is uh, is a and, fallacy, right? And
3: I've also said this, you know, uh, progressives progressives, which Bloomberg really is, in a lot of ways not on everything but in a lot of ways if he wants to annoy me about the size of my soda which he did yes not that I, I don't even drink soda but you get the idea but the streets are safe crime is way down business investment is up the schools are improving people feel like things are cleaner safer and better in the city and as a community alright I mean, he's annoying me about the sodas you know and he's, he's bad or on- straws
4: but, like that stuff can be super annoying But it doesn't go to whether or not you're able to walk outside on the street. And the test I always say, Buck, is if you don't live in a neighborhood where you would be comfortable with your wife or daughter going out for a jog at 7 PM in a sports bra or in, you know, like shorts or whatever, that is a city that's not safe. How many people in America right now can't answer that question? Yes.
3: So in Chicago, though, specifically, Going back to it, I think it's important that we frame this in a way that's very, that's very honest. Um, Johnson won this mayor's race because the black community overwhelmingly came out and voted for him. That is just what the data shows. And there are people with a responsibility to speak the truth about what is happening in that city for the residents of the city. But if you look at, you know, different liberal media outlets, you look at, uh, you know, I, I don't even know. Who, who did the, I can, can someone fact check this for me? I'm just guessing, by the way. I don't know. I mean, tell me who the Chicago Tribune came out in favor of in this mayor's race. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. Um, I'm sure they probably wrote some kind of an endorsement. Maybe it was Vallis. Maybe they realized. But what you see is that overwhelmingly, even if in that case, it's not the case that they would rather the people who live in safe liberals of all races and backgrounds who live in safe neighborhoods of major cities would rather give their support and their money to media entities and to politicians and to organizations that will not make the city safer because it makes them feel good about themselves to continue to push policies of de-incarceration, of, you know, the criminal justice system is racist, the cops are the bad guys. So they would rather allow... The people in their own city to suffer. The data is clear. The Chicago experiment with the policies of Lori Lightfoot and and the Democrats writ large. I mean, you, Clay, you can't even get into. You are not allowed to do a foot chase basically in Chicago anymore if you are a cop. You know, you can't get out of your car and chase somebody. These are policies that are being pushed through, and and the Democrats, the Democrat organs of propaganda, lie to people about this, and they don't care what the consequences are.
4: It's Vallis was the Chicago Tribune endorsed candidate, and I think... Buck, wow, speaks, look at
3: that. They actually did. It still didn't But work. I
4: think that speaks to how much crime is motivating the decisions of many rational Chicagoans. And what I would say, I mean, again... You know who endorsed... It, you know who did endorse Johnson, by the way? Just Teachers Union. There you teachers go. Unions, teachers Bernie Union, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren all endorsed Johnson. Well,
3: that's... I'm really speaking about the Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders mentality... Yep. Those two individuals, first of all, are, you know, quite old and have not dealt with what it is like to be. You know, they haven't like driven their own car and how many decades at this point. OK, never mind going to high crime areas. They're not worried about their safety, but they'll, you know, drop right into the middle of the Chicago race and promote as progressive liberals, a candidate whose policies are going to make the people of Chicago and more specifically the black residents of Chicago less Safe on their own streets, and they just don't care, Clay. they just don't care.
4: BLM has led directly to the deaths of thousands of black people who would otherwise be alive because they have pulled back police and/or ensured that police get fired and If you're waking up this morning, I guarantee you there's people listening to us who work in law enforcement in Chicago. Why in the world would you stay there? You've got a mayor now who said that police basically are the enemy. You can move all over the country. If you have an option, I think a lot of you are going to have to make this decision. I know COVID was a spur, but when I look at where people are moving from in my state and in my neighborhood, Buck, overwhelmingly LA, Chicago, New York City, and the suburban areas there. People are done. They're fed up. Unfortunately, you know, I think really it's going to take a while, till 2030, till we see the full impact of this from a census perspective. But if you can leave Chicago, especially if you have a family, I
3: would leave. It's really interesting. I mean, I'm actually looking at the full endorsement list for, uh, for Brandon Johnson. It is ultra left wing socialist unions like the teachers union and others, SEIU, Bernie and Elizabeth, and then a whole bunch of community organizers. The whole apparatus of community organizers who all they're talking about in the case of Chicago is how they're going to make things better for the residents of, you know, I'm looking here like the uh, 11th Ward, 12th Ward, 48th Ward, 48th Ward Neighbors for Justice is one of the organizations that went for him. And they all just supported a mayor who is going to result in more young kids getting shot in the crossfire of gang violence on the south side. That is what they just did. And it's a shame because half much- of Chicago knows what the real deal was here, What what should have been done.
4: I don't know how much worse it's going to have to get, Buck, but they picked a worse mayor than Lori Lightfoot, who was the worst mayor in the country. And eventually, I think there's going to be a pivot towards the Giuliani's and Bloomberg's of the world, even in big left cities. But I don't know how much longer it's going to take. If you own a small business, you know the value of time. The team at GetRefunds.com does too. That's why they've made it easier than ever to determine if your small business qualifies for a tax refund from the IRS and a little-known program, the Employee Retention Credit, ERC. Go to GetRefunds.com to get started. In less than eight minutes, see if your business qualifies for ERC. Your business may be eligible for a payroll tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. Kept on payroll during COVID, GetRefunds.com has already helped clients claim over $3 billion in payroll tax refunds through the ERC. They may be able to help your business, too. There's no upfront charges either. They get paid after your business gets its refund. Many business owners believe they won't qualify based off incomplete or outdated information. So don't let this opportunity pass you by because this payroll tax refund is only available for a limited time. Go to GetRefunds.com. That's GetRefunds.com.
0: He's Buck Sexton. He's Clay Travis app and search The Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.
1: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's reality, Podcast. reality Podcast.
2: We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're
1: talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television
4: Welcome back in Clay Travis Buck Sexton show I appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we are continuing to react to the craziness that is going on in our country on a day-to-day basis the elections last night in Chicago and in Wisconsin were a mess for everyone out there who cares about truth justice and the American way combine that with Trump being arrested and I think it all adds up to this situation where they care about power more than we care about power. Mm-hmm. Look, and they're willing to do whatever it takes. And I just I can't stop thinking about this freak result in Pennsylvania where they put Fetterman in office and how nobody's even paying attention to the fact that he's effectively been in a hospital now
3: for 3 months since he got to DC he can't do the job so democrats have a not only a maniacal fixation on power but along with that on winning was was there any threat really of you know on mass in large numbers of a whoever the democrat nominee was going to be in 2020 were there Democrats saying, oh, I won't, I won't turn out for that dem, you know, unless it's my Democrat, I won't do it? No. Yep. Was there a lot of Democrat infighting that cost them different races, different close races in states or no? Cause ultimately, I don't know how many Star Trek nerds there are out there, which I'm kind of, I used to watch it when I was a kid a little bit more, but you know, the Borg, which is like these cyborgs that are all interconnected. The Democrats are like the Borg, okay? Ultimately, they do whatever they have to do to win the intergalactic war for power and we sit around going i don't know if that's you know what would the founders have said about it you know (laughs) i'm just saying we got to get a little ruthless on our team
4: this is my book buck that now i believe is coming out in august it's a game plan if you keep getting your ass kicked you're running the wrong game plan right i mean I, i just i don't know how to say it otherwise and you pointed out and it is fair Glenn Youngkin won an unexpected win in 2021. But basically, think about the elections since 2016. How often have you been super engaged, excited, and thrilled with the result? If you keep losing, sooner or later, you have to change the game plan. You have to get nastier. You have to get more committed. You have to figure out how to win. And the number of people, I think, Buck, who just sit around and say, well, you know, I, I think your founder example is a good one. What would John Adams have said about this? Well, John Adams would have kicked the British's ass. He wouldn't have kept getting his ass kicked. And I think we got way too few fighters out there, to be frank. Way too many people looking over their shoulder. What is the New York Times going to write
3: if I say mm. that? How's the Washington Post going to respond? Sack up. You know, it's all that matters is scoreboard, man. You know, I remember yes. this. When I played on teams, or when I was even coaching a team, no matter what the other team said, at the end of the game, all that mattered was a scoreboard. So best trash talk is scoreboard. Yeah, That's it. So uh, we got to rack it up, friends, which means also we got to be very honest about where we're weak, where we're strong, and what needs to be done. Pure Talk operates their business with a customer-first approach. It starts with their monthly service price for nationwide 5G service at just $30 a month. That gives you unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data. Pure Talk's chairman is a U.S. veteran. No surprise, Pure Talk cares about supporting veteran and veterans and our military. When you become a Pure Talk customer, you have an option to support America's warrior partnership to prevent veteran suicide. Cell phone service, by the way, is amazing. That's what you're paying for. That's what you're getting. I'm a customer. My calls don't drop. My data delivered quickly. And the customer service, the best I've ever had. All you have to do to switch to Pure Talk, this American company, is dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, you'll save 50% off, off your first month. When you make the switch, you can do it in as little as about 10 minutes. You keep your phone and your number if you want. They make it super easy. Okay, get this. Pure Talk will save the average-sized family about a $1,000 a year in savings in the bank for you. Make the switch. Do what I did. Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, save 50% off your first month.